Thank you for your prayers. If you'll turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? How can I know Him and recognize His work in my life? These are all good questions and we'll seek to answer them from God's Word over the next five weeks as we continue our study, the Holy Spirit, the abused and neglected God. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit is the least sung about, He's the least taught about, He's the least known about member of the Godhead. Remember, J.D. Greer was the one who said, He's the forgotten God of the Trinity. So we began to lay down three foundational truths that we must rightly understand from Scripture as we begin a study on the Holy Spirit. First, we confirm that through the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Our Baptist faith and message states that we serve one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They each have distinct attributes, but they are without division of nature or essence or being. And as such... The Baptist Faith and Message also states that we owe this one God, including the Holy Spirit, the highest of love, the highest of reverence and worship, and the highest of obedience. So we saw that He is God. Secondly, we were reminded that the Holy Spirit is a person and not merely a force or a power. One charismatic preacher correctly said, The Holy Spirit is not a power to use, but He's a person to know. The Scriptures prove that He, the Holy Spirit, He has a mind. 1 Corinthians 2 says, For no one knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God. So He has a mind. We saw that He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul would say that He distributes the gifts, the spiritual gifts, to each person as He wills. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. So He has a mind. He has a will. And then we saw last week that He has emotions. For Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so He has a mind. He has a will. He has a... Uh, emotions. He is a person. He is God. He is a person. And then third, we were challenged to surrender everything to the control of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. When the Holy Spirit comes into the heart of a believer, He is not coming in to rent space. He's coming in to own. And we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, which was the verse that I believe God used in my life to uh, even begin to uh, work to, to show me that this was the direction that I felt like, you know, I would go in for the weeks that I would be preaching to you. But First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13 says, The Spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. And that's what we want to happen in our lives. For the Spirit of the Lord to take control of our lives from this day forward. We want our lives to be pleasing to God the Father, glorifying to God the Son, 
and through the power of God the Holy Spirit. Now today, and in the coming weeks, I'd like for us to look at what Jesus told His disciples about the Holy Spirit. And we'll find His words in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. And in these three chapters, Jesus will teach us more about the Holy Spirit than in all the other Gospels combined. These final words of Jesus to His disciples in the upper room are among some of the deepest teachings about the Holy Spirit. We'll see at least seven things that the Lord shares with His disciples about the Holy Spirit that would help them in the days that would lie ahead for them. And yet, we can also learn much about the Holy Spirit from these words from the lips of our Savior. So let's start with a little context. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is sharing with His disciples that He is about to leave them. He is about to depart from them and go back to the Father in heaven. The disciples are saddened and they're confused by this announcement, even though they have no idea of what His departure is about to entail. Jesus tells them that their hearts must not be troubled, for He would be going to His Father's house, and that He would be preparing a place for them. And He told them that He would come back to get them. He wasn't going to leave them. He was going to come back and get them and bring them to where He was going. And then in verse 4 He says, And you know the way where I'm going. Then Jesus tells the disciples um, that they would do the works that He does and would even do greater works than these because He was going to the Father. In verse 12, John chapter 14, verse 12. Now these greater works than the ones that He did, Jesus did, does not mean that they would do greater works of quality than Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. That's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying that they were going to do greater works of quality than He Himself had done. But what He was saying was that they would do more works than what He was able to do as one person on planet Earth. So these greater works would be a reference to the Holy Spirit's coming ministry. Through the Holy Spirit living in believers, Jesus would accomplish more than if He would have remained here on earth as one person. John Phillips says they were not yet able to grasp the significance of the replacement of one limited bodily presence with an unlimited universal presence. Then Jesus tells the disciples, if they loved Him, they would have rejoiced that He was going back to the Father. In verse 28, John 14, verse 28. They didn't understand that for Jesus to go back to the Father, it would be after He has secured their salvation, their forgiveness of sins, He had achieved their redemption, He had conquered death, hell, and the grave, and He had sealed the fate of the devil and his demons. The disciples don't comprehend the scope of their new ministry after the Holy Spirit is going to come from the Father to help them accomplish the mission of worldwide evangelization. 
Jesus will later say in John chapter 16 and verse 7, it is for your benefit. He's talking to the disciples and he says, it is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus makes it clear. Number one, he's leaving his disciples to go back to the Father. Secondly, they will do greater works because he is going back to the Father. And it is to their benefit that he is going away. But now I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. The disciples have left everything to follow him, right? They're following him. They've left their homes. They've left their families. They've left everything, their belongings. And they're following him. And now he says he's going to go away. Peter even says in Matthew chapter 27 verse 19, We have left everything to follow you. In John chapter 6, you would read that Jesus... He had this hard teaching at one point where many disciples decided to turn around and say, I don't know that I can follow this guy. And Jesus looks at the twelve in John chapter 6 and he says, You don't want to go away too, do you? To which Peter replies for the twelve, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen to what Peter says. We've left everything. To whom can we go? You are the Holy One of God. It's in this context that Jesus introduces His disciples to the Holy Spirit. So look with me in verses 16 through 18 at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In these verses, we notice that the Father is the one who will send the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus will mention in John 15, verse 26, that He, too, is going to send the Holy Spirit or the Counselor. So, the Holy Spirit will come from both the Father and the Son, according to Jesus' words in John 15, 26. Andreas Kostenberger makes an interesting point here. He says, notice that the Father is never sent. He is the sender of both the Son and the Spirit. He says the Spirit is never sender. He is sent by both the Father and the Son. He says only Jesus is the one who is both sent and sender. Because He's sent by the Father And then He sends the Holy Spirit and the disciples. So God and Jesus will send the disciples another counselor. The word another means one like they currently have in Jesus. 
So even though Jesus, their leader, the one that they've chosen to follow, the one that they believe is the Holy One of God, is leaving them, Jesus is promising that another person who will lead them and help them and guide them just like He has. And that person is the Holy Spirit. He is attempting to tell them that He Himself will return to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is communicating to them. But right now, it's still going right over their heads. Now, the word translated counselor in Greek is the word paraclete. You've heard this before, parakletos, meaning helper, or one who is called alongside to keep us, or one who supplies all of our needs, a God at hand, one who we may call upon in every emergency. Don't you know the people of Baton Rouge today are calling on the paraclete. They are calling on the Holy Spirit. They are calling on the One who comes alongside them to help them. And they are calling on the One who they can call on in every emergency. The Latin word translated means advocate. And it has a little bit more of a legal connotation as one who represents us. Now, you can check this out for yourself. In fact, I know in this building we're all using different translations. I know that. So watch this. If you're using an English Standard Version, ESV, or if you're using the New King James Version, they translate the word helper. So look in your Bible in just a minute and you'll see the word helper. The NIV, if you're using the New International Version, uses the word advocate. So advocate. Look in your Bible. It'll say advocate. The Holman Christian Standard Bible prefers the word counselor. So when we read the Scripture earlier, it uses the word counselor. The New American Standard Version and the King James Version calls him comforter. So all of us looking together at the same time in John chapter 16, I want you to say out loud what your translation says. Because it's going to say either counselor, comforter, advocate, or helper. Okay, all on the count of three. I want you to have your word ready. One, two, three. Counselor. Alright. So who is he? All of the above. (laughs) He is all of the above. Now, all except for one of these translations that I've already mentioned call him the Holy Spirit. Herschel Hobbes, a name that you might remember from Baptist history, who was largely responsible for our Baptist faith and message, he actually says, unfortunately, the King James Version renders the word spirit as ghost. Thus, we get the idea that what? The Holy Ghost. That's where that comes from. It comes from the King James Version. And our Baptist father, Herschel Hobbes, he he actually uses the words, unfortunately. It's rendered as Holy Ghost. He thinks and others feel like it would be better to refer to him as the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word for spirit can also mean breath or wind. Now the Holy Spirit here is also referred to as the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. Now truth is a is a common theme in the book of John. Think back with me just real quick. In John chapter 4, verse 24, 
The Bible says God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him, how? In spirit and in truth. In John chapter 8 verse 32, Jesus is telling the Jews who are believing in Him, He says, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In our passage today, John chapter 14 and verse 6, what does Jesus declare? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus will be praying to the Father, and He actually uses this, these words about the Word of God. He says, Thy Word is what? Truth. And so this word translated helper and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of truth, they're all really closely related. The Spirit of truth. So now, here's the first thing that I want us to see of the seven, and we're not doing seven today. Do not worry. We learn from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. Notice in John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus says these words, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He will be with you forever. And then look down in verse 17. He says the world won't be able to receive Him because it doesn't know Him or know, uh, see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and He will be in you. So this, He will be with you forever. He remains with you. He will be in you. This all speaks to the presence of God. The presence of God. It also speaks to the permanence of His relationship. And it also communicates the place of His residency. So we talk about first the presence of God. The presence of God is a common theme throughout the Old Testament, well, really throughout the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, God Himself was walking with who? Adam and Eve in the Garden. God would later speak to Moses through a burning bush. And then he would meet Moses up on top of the mountain when he would give Moses the very law for the people of Israel. The Israelites would experience the presence of God through the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We fast forward to the New Testament and the New Testament tells us that God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell bodily in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus is frustrated a little bit with Philip in our Scripture today in John chapter 14 when Philip says, uh, show us the Father. Jesus says, how can you say, show us the Father? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is telling Philip, the very presence of God has been made known to you through me, through Christ Jesus Himself. Now Jesus knowing that His time is coming, He would soon be arrested and eventually crucified on the cross. Jesus knew that when He would be arrested, the disciples would be scattered. They would feel like they were all alone, like a sheep without a shepherd. However, His promise was to them that He would not leave them as orphans, but that He would come to them again. Now, He would fulfill that promise first when He would resurrect from the grave 
as the risen Savior and Lord. That's how He fulfilled that promise that I will not leave you. I will come to you. Jesus does that first and foremost through His resurrection. But then after He ascends to the Father, He would come not to live physically with them, but He would come to live spiritually in them. He's not going to be physically with them anymore, but He's going to be spiritually in them. So notice what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit's permanent relationship with them. He says, He will be with you forever. I want to camp out there just for a minute. Who's Jesus talking about? The Holy Spirit. He says, He will be with you forever. I will send Him to you and He will be with you forever. Now this is important for you and I to understand. When the Holy Spirit comes to a believer, He takes up residence in the believer's heart. And folks, listen to this. He doesn't move in and move out and move in and move out and move in and move out. When the Holy Spirit comes to the believer, He comes in to stay. He says, He will be with you forever. Our charismatic brethren, some of them believe that a Christian can lose their salvation. But here, Jesus is promising His disciples, He will be with you forever. I'm so glad that I can have the assurance of salvation that when I believe in Jesus Christ, I am adopted into the very family of God. You have the whole adoption language and and teaching in the Bible. I'm adopted into the family of God. Now, how cruel would it be for Him to adopt you and then to say, no, I don't want you, but then, no, let me adopt you again, but let me let you go again. That's not the way God operates. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, He will come and He will be with you forever. I'm so glad I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm forgiven of all my sins. Past sins. Present sins. Future sins. I'm forgiven of all my sins. Jesus didn't know just about my life up until today when He died on the cross for my sins. No, He knew even my future sins. And He chose to die on the cross anyway. Can I get an amen? His royal blood that was spilt for me as He died on the cross, it was enough to save me. And it was sufficient enough to hold on to me for all eternity. I praise God that I'm not holding on to Him, but He is holding on to me. Listen to these promises. Look in John chapter 10, just a few verses over. John chapter 10, look in verses 27 through 30. Jesus speaking, He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. His sheep follow him. Are you one of his sheep? My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Listen to what Jesus says. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And Jesus even, he could just stop there, couldn't he? I give them eternal life and they will never perish. But look at what your Bible says. Look at what Jesus says in red letters. They will never perish. How long? Ever. He didn't have to throw that in. He says, my sheep, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. That's what he's saying about the Holy Spirit. He will come and live with you forever. Notice what he says. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, my sheep, is greater than all. And in the context, you have John 10, uh, verse 10, where it talks about the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus is saying, My Father who has given them to me, He is greater than all, even the thief. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. And so Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, He will be with you forever. Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul says, For I am persuaded that not even death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come, hostile powers, height, depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So not only will He be with us forever, but He will remain with you and will be in you. The disciples don't know what's about to happen to them and to Jesus, although Jesus has plainly told them on several occasions, I challenge you to go back and look, Jesus has laid it out, what's about to happen to Him, but somehow it's still not registering to them. So after Jesus is arrested, His disciples flee. If you follow the story, we know that Peter and John are at least close enough to the action, and we know that Peter is accused by the slave girl who's at the door, keeping the door to the high priest's courtyard. And she says, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And what does Peter do? He denies them three times. After Jesus is crucified and buried and resurrected, he'll, he'll appear to his disciples, Luke tells us, for a period of 40 days, giving many convincing proofs that he is alive. And Jesus will tell his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. He says, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. He tells them that not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is preparing the disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. It ends up being ten days later on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit falls from heaven or is sent by God from heaven... Right? The Father will send the Spirit. The Son will send the Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls from heaven. As flames of tongues that light on the apostles, they begin to speak in tongues or other known languages about the wonders of God. Now, there's a bunch of Jews that are in Jerusalem at the time. In Acts chapter 2. And they're there to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. Now, get this. They're there to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. And ironically, 
Guess who they're going to be? They're going to be some of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit's ministry. They're there celebrating the Feast of First Fruits. They're going to be some of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit's ministry. As many believe and are saved. Now, the Holy Spirit's coming on the day of Pentecost is a turning point in history. Jesus' physical ministry on earth was temporary. It was about 33 years. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He will be with believers forever. And He will remain with you and He will be in you. And we're going to see the empowering of the Holy Spirit in Peter, who had just denied Christ about a month or so earlier, but now on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit... He boldly proclaims the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and some 3,000 souls are added to the kingdom that day. The birth of the church takes place and the kickoff to the global gospel movement takes place on that day in Acts chapter 2. And it all happens as a result of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of the hearts of believers. So what is the significance of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Let me share this, and we'll start to close. For one, we can rest assured that we are not saved because of anything that we have done well or anything that we have not done well. That's not the basis of your salvation. And to that I say, Amen. The basis of our salvation is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He died as our substitute, and through His blood being shed, our sins can be erased, and He gives us a righteousness that we did not have in and of ourselves. He gives us His righteousness. Secondly, we can enjoy a relationship with the God who lives in us. The Holy Spirit of God living in us. Think about that just for a minute. Holy Spirit living in us. You wonder why you're bothered by sin in your life, Christian? It's because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. The Holy Spirit comes in to convict us of our wrongs and to show us the right path. He guides us into all truth. We'll see that in the coming weeks. He reminds us of things that Jesus has shared. That's what's going to happen to these disciples in just a few short days later. They're going to stay, it's going to start dawning on them. This is what Jesus was talking about. But it's not really dawning on them apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming and doing His ministry. And when He does His ministry, He brings to recall or remembrance the things that Jesus had said to them just days earlier. And so I've been saying here lately, and I think I'm right. Please don't judge me if I'm wrong on this. Just come gently correct me. But I think I'm right on this. I know the Holy Spirit doesn't need our help in anything. But I've been thinking that to the extent that we hide God's Word in our heart and memorize God's Word, to the extent that we do that, it just seems logical to me that the Holy Spirit would have the 
more to work with to bring to our remembrance and recall the things that Jesus has said. It's not that He can't do it apart from us, but doesn't it make sense that if we hide God's Word in our heart and we cherish it and we treasure it in our minds and in our hearts, that the Holy Spirit might have more to work with in us? And so He will bring to remembrance or recall the things that Jesus has shared with them. And then the Holy Spirit will empower them to be the witness for Christ in this world. I was with a youth minister up in Ruston this past week in his office, and he was just sharing with me some things that were going on in his youth ministry. And one particular story really jumped out at me and grabbed my heart. He told me about a junior high boy, a junior high boy, no offense junior high boys, but junior high boy. I want you to get this, adults. This junior high boy is growing in the Lord and he's feeling convicted that he needs to be a soul winner. He needs to tell people about Jesus. But he didn't fully know how. And he's a junior high boy. It's awkward. How do you just get into that conversation? And so he shared this desire of his heart with his youth minister. And his youth minister said, well, let me give you just some suggestions and let's pray about it. And the young man came back to his youth minister and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do my daily devotionals. And when I do my daily devotional, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to share with my friend what God is telling me in my daily devotionals. <laughs> Folks, that's not rocket science, is it? And this young man did this for over a month with a friend of his. He was praying for his salvation. He was doing his devotional. He would go to school and he would find a way to work it in and talk to his friend about what God had been teaching him in his daily devotional. He invited him to his church. He invited him to the youth group. And this youth minister told me that little over a month since he started doing that, this young man prayed to receive Jesus Christ. This is Lord and Savior. It's not that hard. Folks, what we have to realize is we're not the witnesses. I mean, sure, we're the mouthpiece and we're the hands and we're the, we're the physical body that's there. But folks, we're not the witnesses. The Holy Spirit of God can take our lives and can witness through us far better than we can witness on our, by ourselves. He is the Holy Spirit. He is God living inside of us. He is God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus says He will be with you forever. He remains with you and He will be in you. And really in closing, it says the world will not be able to receive Him because the world doesn't see Him or know Him but you know Him because He remains with you and He'll be in you. You know, the world operates on a different system than we do as believers, don't they? If they can't see it, if they can't hear it, if they can't taste it, if they can't touch it, if they can't smell it, then they don't believe in its existence. 
But Jesus and the Bible teaches us that those who are born of the Spirit of God, those who are spiritually minded, they will know the Spirit because the Spirit of God is living within them. So my question to you today is, do you know the Spirit of God lives in you? Do you know the Spirit of God lives in you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Do you have the assurance of faith today that your salvation and your hope is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone? There is nothing that you can bring to the table. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Is there evidence of Christ's righteousness living in you? Do others see the fruit of the Spirit in you? He is God. He's a person. He comes in to own. And praise God, folks. He comes in forever. Do you know Him today? See your Lord and your Savior. If not, would you come and let us share with you how you can walk out of here today with the living Lord Jesus living inside of you. Let's stand and let's sing.